My name is Jeff Lerner, and I interview elite performers from a wide range of disciplines, entrepreneurs, athletes, celebrities, scientists, artists, and more. This is Unlock Your Potential. Welcome to another episode of Unlock Your Potential. Jeff Lerner, always thrilled to be back here with you, getting to have incredible conversations with incredible human beings. Today, we are joined by a special one, Mr. Dan Millman, who I first got to know as the author of a really transcendent, defining book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Uh, he's also written, I want to say, 17 other books. So um, he must get up very early in the morning because I struggled just to write one. Uh, but anyway, we're really glad that Dan is here. Uh, if you don't know Dan's background, uh, prior to becoming an author, he was a world champion athlete, uh, also coached at the collegiate level, coached gymnastics. He's a martial artist. He's a college professor. Um, he's in the running for world's most interesting man. And uh, we're grateful to have him on the show. Dan, welcome to Unlock Your Potential. Great to be here with you, Jeff. Yeah, so glad you're here. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, right before we hit record, I just got out of my car on the way to, to my office, and I was listening to the soothing sounds of Mr. Dan Millman reading The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. So I'm in a very good headspace. I've been, uh, I've been hearing modern Socratic dialogue with your, your famous gas station attendants, and uh, it's, it's pretty epic. So, and, and I suspect knowing my audience, I'm going to venture that a, a decent chunk has, has read the book and, and perhaps others. Um, so I would love it uh, if you could maybe walk us into that story. Is that a fair, is that a fair starting point? Um, it's a great starting point. Uh, in fact, let me first share how I came up with the term peaceful warrior. To most people who haven't come across it, it sounds like mm. a contradiction in terms. How can you be peaceful and a warrior? Um, I was actually teaching a martial arts course at Oberlin College, where I was on the faculty uh, in the uh, mid-70s, actually. And I was going to teach a course centered around Aikido and Tai Chi, two martial arts. And I was going to call it, understandably, the way of the warrior. Um, but that didn't quite seem to fit because they're more internal arts. They're more defensive, receptive arts. Um, so I had a light bulb moment and I went, hey, why don't I call it the way of the peaceful warrior to kind of modify that term of warrior and broaden it into everyday life. Um, and, and that's where I came up with the term. And I, 14 years later or so, that's when I wrote the book, I decided that would be a, an interesting title. Um, but I've had a chance over the decades passing to think more deeply about what this term means. And it actually applies to all of us because every single one of us is seeking to live with a more peaceful heart a sense of serenity, equanimity amidst the changes of everyday life um, and the daily news. Um, so we can relate to that aspect, but also there are times in our lives when we need a warrior's spirit, not just about fighting, except for those inner demons such as fear, self-doubt, insecurity, and so on. Um, but it's really about rolling up our sleeves, standing up tall inside of ourselves and marching into life and doing what we need to do um, in our everyday life. In fact, a man came up to me, Jeff, after a talk I gave many years ago and, and said, Dan, I just read Wave the Peaceful Warrior. Now I'm, I'm really excited about doing spiritual practices, but how can I find the time? I have a wife and three children, a full-time job. And he came to understand that his wife, his children, his full-time work were his primary forms of spiritual practice. And they will demand more and develop us more 
than sitting in a cave and meditating. I know this because I've done both. So I view everyone as a peaceful warrior in training, which is, and male or female, I mean, it makes no difference, whatever, uh, however we identify, it's human beings are peaceful warriors in training in the school of daily life, uh, a form of spiritual weight training, if you will. And if you don't lift any weights, you don't get any stronger. Mm. Yeah, when I think of a peaceful warrior, I think this, this probably is, is hearkening to some of the wrong, the wrong uh, sources, but I think of, uh, I think it was what Teddy Roosevelt said about diplomacy, about walking softly, and care, but carrying a big stick. Yeah, there's that idea. Yeah, and, the, and people the peace like that comes Gandhi. from knowing that you can command, you can control a situation if you need to, is what keeps you from having to, right? Exactly. Some of the most gentle and kindest people are top martial artists. They have nothing left to prove. Um, and they're very gentle and kind in their everyday lives, for the most part. Um, there are a few anomalies. But um, yeah, um, people like, as I, I mentioned uh, in, in brief, uh, referring to Mahatma Gandhi, who inspired mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. These are examples of peaceful warriors. H Harriet Tubman, who led uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, slaves to freedom uh, uh, way back when. Um, and, and there have been many people who, with that peaceful heart, but warrior spirit. So I remember early in the book, you talked about, and I'm trying to remember exactly what the line was, but it was essentially about the, how you, you had the, there's two, two things that kind of converge in my mind. You, one, you had a fairly, I don't want to say idyllic, but I mean, uh, a, a happy childhood, right? Good, good. You talk about good, loving family structure that allowed you to develop some of your gifts, and and um, and that you at, at a certain point, like kind of everything was going well. And I and I think it was your junior year. You said this this like darkness kind of started to creep in that didn't didn't seem necessary. Like you didn't have any obvious demons to wrestle with. So it's like. Why, why was a demon showing up to wrestle, right? When you weren't asking for a, a fight. And then, and then I think about um, the way you present sort of the, the Socratic uh, insight. And, and for those of you, if you haven't read the book, Socrates is the character in the book. Not, we're not talking about the Socrates. Um, but it, it was about how essentially to kind of arrive at this place, this peaceful warrior place, you basically have to, have to go through the gauntlet. You have to go through some hell, go through some crap, and it's almost like the way I connected that was it's almost like you were at a place in your life where there wasn't enough going wrong, so to speak, or enough challenge to force, to, to force you to continue growing. But knowing that on the other side of, the, of such challenges is this peaceful warrior place, it's almost like it, it felt like you almost kind of created it for yourself. Does that sound on target at all? I, it does. Uh, not not consciously that right. I created it for myself, but, but life has a way of, you know, there's a saying, God comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. <laughs> we, we all find something. And when people say I had a happy childhood, they're, they're summarizing some broad, glistening, glittering kind of right. uh, reflection. Uh, we all have challenges in everyday life. I was small in stature, which was great for gymnastics, not so good for basketball. Uh, and I was the youngest kid in my class. And I probably spoke too much, a lifelong habit, um, which attracted the attention guilty. of some bullies. Guilty, guilty so, here too. Yeah, you know. So in my new memoir um, uh, called Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, by the way, um, 
the true story of my spiritual quest, I really reveal the story behind the story of Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Because many people read the first book and imagine, oh, Dan had this old mentor in a gas station he called Socrates, he learned a lot, and today he teaches and so on and lectures and writes. Um, actually, there was a 20-year intensive period of preparation and initiation that I describe in, in the new book. Um, so, uh, and, and with four primary mentors, we've all had mentors and role models in our lives. We remember a couple of teachers from our past who demanded the best of us and really got us, that sort of thing. So we've all had mentors, but these were four really heavy hitters who influenced my life and work. So I had a chance to acknowledge them in, in the new book. Um, so, yeah, we all have uh, our challenges. And one of the themes uh, ongoing in, in, in the book is that uh, we all meet adversity. Everyone's experienced physical, emotional, mental pain in their life at one time or the other. But if we look back on those times, a special challenge, we probably know that we're a little bit wiser, maybe a little stronger for having gone through that. Sometimes digging out of a dark hole can give us the strength to climb the mountain. So... I feel like that that sort of elides into my opening question about about walking us into the book. You said there was a twenty year period that was the 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 crucible that was, I guess, the requirement to be able to arrive at the place where you could create that you know really impactful book that's helped so many people. Can you sort of uh, steer steer us through those twenty years and maybe disabuse uh, anyone that thinks that your life has been all unicorns and rainbows? <laughs> Well, I, I do mention one uh, true event, but also an archetypal or metaphorical event uh, in the sense that I did shatter my right yeah. leg in a motorcycle crash. And that was an obvious sense of adversity and disruption in my life. For, for, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, you were a world-class yeah. uh, gymnast at the time yes. who was competing on an on a international stage, bringing home mm -hmm. gold medals, representing your country. So it was a pretty big deal when you shattered your leg. Right. It, it, it did. It was pretty disappointing at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and you referred actually to a time when things were going well. Um, and what that that what was represented by that demon, that inner demons that I describe in my first book, um, was really a, a metaphor for a sense of disillusion. You know, uh, regarding the theme of, of your show, you know, uh, reaching your full potential and so on. Um, I. Uh, I remember a quote by Ram Das, and I actually got this quote into the movie, the adaptation of my first book uh, with Nick Nolte that was playing the old gas station attendant I called Socrates. And uh, Ram Das uh, used to say that when we don't get what we want, we suffer. In the sense, we suffer dissatisfaction, disappointment. When we get what we really don't want, we also suffer, but even if we get exactly what we want over time, we still suffer because mm. we, we get attached to everything going well. We don't want things to change, but they do. Like, you know, life comes at us in waves of change. We can't predict or control. All we can do is learn to surf. And so he was talking about that fundamental sense of what the Buddha called suffering, but really it's a sense of attachment, clinging, or dissatisfaction. And that is what I kind of described in, in, the, in the first book, what I faced. Because, yeah, I'd been a champion athlete, I had a girlfriend, I was in college. Life was going pretty well on the surface. But I had, though, that inner darkness. Like, what is life really about? Uh, how do I live well? 
Um, where's the meaning? And that's what I described, that approach that that old man Socrates representing my teacher, um, what he led me to and the revelations that followed. So can you give just kind of a, a, a very light chronology? So college, uh, life is good, accolades, superlative existence. When did the motorcycle accident happen? Well, it actually happened before I met the old character I described in the gas right. station, the chronology I changed in the book. Okay. Um, and I was, I was at the peak condition. I had just appeared as a stuntman in a, in a movie, a forgettable Tony Curtis movie uh, from way back um, called Don't Make Waves. And uh, so life was just really going well. I was about to fly to the world championships. And this is when I was going back to Cal, UC Berkeley for my senior year. So this was going to be the culmination. And then I was heading home uh, before, after visiting my sister, um, and a car turned in front of me. I shattered my leg. And, and so I didn't know if I'd ever do gymnastics again. All that energy and all that direction and focus and goals were, boom, just came to a stop. And again, you know, as, as one of my former mentors said, sometimes you get the elevator and sometimes you get the shaft. And that's what happened to me at that moment. But I just was focused on coming back. I, was, I knew I really disappointed my coach, my teammates. And I said, if there's any way I can come back, I'm going to. And there's a longer story. I tell it in the book and especially in the memoir, which makes it all, I, you know, way in the piece of warrior blended autobiography with fictional elements right. for the sake of story and teaching. Um, and the new book, um, Peaceful Heart Warrior Spirit. Now that, that is completely true as well as memory can serve. I checked it with friends and family. So the chronology was then I, I seemed to be falling, live a charmed life even then, because once I graduated from college, after I recovered from that shattered leg, and it took me about a year, um, and we won the team championships, the NCAA championships for the first time uh, for Cal. And it was really a victory story. I, I was the last up and I competed and did my dismount. When I stuck my dismount off the high bar, I knew in that moment, an instant that we just won the nationals. It was all riding on my performance. Mm. So it was a great way to retire from competitive gymnastics after which there's more to the story, but I fell into the coaching job at Stanford University. At 22 years of age, I was the head coach hmm. uh, at Stanford. And that, that was for four years. I trained the top U.S. Olympian and so on. So life still seemed to be going on the surface very well. But I was also married, very young. We had a daughter, young daughter, and the relationship just didn't click. Um, I'm amazed we lasted eight years. Um, and it's, again, more to every story. But so that was a shadow. Uh, all these good things were happening but if one's relationship isn't going well, it, it casts a shadow over one's life. Um, and, and, and from there, I ended up going to Oberlin College. I got offered a professorship based on my past career uh, in physical education. And that led to many other things. After I studied for a period of about a decade with a man I called a professor and another I called the guru, spent about eight years in his community. Um, that's when I was prepared finally to share everything I'd learned to that point in time in way of the peaceful warrior. And it was only later that I met two other mentors in the next 10 years called the warrior priest and then the sage and who brought me back to earth in, in a very fundamental way. And so those four mentors really describe 
radically different approaches to what we call the spiritual search, um, the quest, uh, the search for our potential, um, and even transcendence. So that is kind of in a nutshell. Okay. No, thank you. That's 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 helpful. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Gosh, I th- I, th- I think of several things. So. For, I, I want to actually go back to the moment you stuck the landing uh, mm-hmm. at the end of your senior year campaign. Was, were you, did you have any doubts in the back of your mind about, the, about your leg? Well, not, not really, because um, they, they placed a pin, a metal pin, all the way down the femur, the length of my thigh bone, to hold it together while it was healing. So I didn't need a cast, but I was mm-hmm. on crutches and then a cane walking pretty funny, kind of crooked. Um, my leg was shorter than the other, it was externally rotated somewhat. So it, it, it was a challenge coming back, but a year later they took the pin out and the doctors said, well, it's gonna either hold together or break. So you can just check it out and test it. And so then I started training gradually, putting more weight on it mm-hmm. uh, over time doing weights and, and uh, working a lot of upper body strength, which is what I could do. And by the, the time we went to the nationals, I, I was, you know, my body was back as well as it could be. And so, but doubts are always there. You never know one performance to the next, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, but I'd always had a pattern. Oddly enough, I was never, never very competitive. I wasn't like a track runner or a boxer in the sense of um, competing head on head with anybody else. To me, gymnastics was a performance art. So it was always like an actor being on stage Mm -hmm. and doing a performance. And if I did well, I was happy. And if I didn't, the numbers didn't matter to me. Hmm. So it was just a matter of this is it. This is the chance, this is the comeback. And I was was chosen as senior athlete of the year in, in a really field of very good athletes at UC Berkeley including Craig Morton. Maybe you don't remember him, the quarterback, uh, I think for Denver. Uh, he went in the NFL mm-hmm. afterward. But, but there were some really great athletes and I, they selected me, mostly sympathy points, I think, because I'd come back from a serious injury to help the team win the Nationals. Well, I don't know uh, that that's sympathy so much as people like to be inspired. Yeah, Maybe give, I think give that, yourself a little more credit than sympathy, right? Yeah, that might have been it. Um, <laughs> so, so, I, so I did, I was able to... Uh, exhibit some achievement, but I realized that achievement isn't enough in everyday life. However, it is something. I don't want to discount it because each of us is a hardwired goal seeker. You know, in the Peaceful Warrior movie, you may remember this scene if you saw the movie, Jeff, um, there's a scene where Socrates and Dan hike up this big hill and the character, Dan, playing me uh, as a young man, he, he has this revelation. He says, you know, Sock, I just realized it's, it's the the journey that makes us happy, not just the destination. And there's some wisdom in that, you know, that revelation. It was a nice thing to share to the movie audience. But without a destination in mind, there is no journey. We just wander around. Mm-hmm. So to our point A, we need a point B. The happiest people I know of, the most successful people, and I define success as making progress toward a meaningful goal. The most happy people I know are not thinking about happiness. They're too busy focused on moving toward their goal. And so I think it's important to have a purpose, a goal or a purpose in each moment. We may not know our cosmic purpose, though I've written some books, a number of books about life purpose. Um, But still, we always know the most important purpose is the one in this moment. Like I know my purpose right in this moment, sharing with you, and you know your purpose. 
We always know our purpose in each moment. And if we don't, we need to really check that out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're just, again, wandering through life. So having a purpose um, and, and a goal, I think is a very healthy thing for most people. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you know you can get a free copy of my book, The Millionaire Shortcut, which shows you the fastest way to become a millionaire in the new economy. There's a special link just for this episode in the description. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So I'm curious what, you you know, you, you went to Oberlin, um, you're coaching. At that point, you're at sort of a place in your life that sounds like you could have I guess, for lack of a better term, settled into a, a normal life, right? You're a coach, mm, yes. you have a stable job, you have respect. Like a lot of your Maslow's hierarchical needs are basically being met. Like, right. If, and yet you ended up going on this spiritual sort of journey quest with these gurus and digging deep. Like, like, why wasn't it enough? Why this need to peel back layers of life when it was a life that, could have slash potentially should have been pretty fulfilling, at least superficially. What a great question. It's one of the best questions I've been asked, I think. Um, and it's highly relevant for anybody. And in my case, I mean, many people look, there are two, we, we live in two worlds, a conventional world where appropriately we spend about 99% of our time and attention functioning in everyday life, doing what we need to, jobs, education, children, whatever. Um, but there's also that element of the transcendent. And that's what people take up religion for or spiritual practice, rising above the bigger picture. It's like we spend a lot of our time down in the weeds at the base of a mountain, but suddenly maybe somebody for whatever reason finds himself on the, the peak of the mountain, that archetypal moment, the mountain peak. And, and they look at a panoramic view that's beautiful because everything looks better in the distance. So we're looking at a panoramic view. That's the transcendent, rising above this sense of freedom, awakening, liberation. It's been described as many things. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. Because I was disillusioned with one successor, because each one made me happy for a few minutes, maybe a few hours. But then it was like, what's next? And so it's I wanted to ask, where is there such a thing as stable fulfillment, a sense of real, real peace? When is enough? And so even though I was achieving and doing these various things, I could have stayed at Stanford. I left I, on my own accord. I left Oberlin after being a college professor. Very comfortable situation. Mm-hmm. But I just continued to explore. The center of my life uh, was the spiritual quest. In fact, when I was young, maybe some of your listeners will relate to this. Um, I was really into self-improvement. I mean, really into it. I was reading books on word power, made easy. And I was learning speed reading and the speed system of mathematics and um, memory courses. I took memory courses and ventriloquism, and sleight of hand. Magic was a hobby for a while. And I was doing acrobatics and martial arts. And I just loved learning and improving myself. And one day though, it struck me that no matter how much I improved myself, only one person benefited, which is fine. It's good to improve ourselves. It's better for the world. But at the same time, I I said, you know, if I could somehow help improve other people's lives, that made my life more meaningful, Jeff. Um, And that's what I've been striving to do ever since, finding the right leverage where I could impact and influence other people. Not everyone is called to be like a teacher or Mm -hmm. a speaker. And that's fine. But I was. And I think that's what drew me. And that's what guided me 
and allowed me my, my commitment to sharing what I've learned with other people. Yeah. Um, that's what excited me and, and led me to these four mentors I described in the new book. So, so let me ask you this, um, sort of, I'm thinking uh, almost vicariously for our, for the audience to, to think their pro thought process through your pro thought process, so to speak. Uh, I think many, many people, I don't know if it's everyone, but I know that it's many people feel this, this sense of whether it's longing or searching or questioning, you know, kind of like you're talking about, right? Like, what is the point? What is the meaning? What? And I think that's like this little whisper that we live with for years and years. And, and, you know, I don't want to be overly binary in my view of the world, but I, I get the mm -hmm. sense that a lot of people really create a life that is almost engineered to drown out that voice. It's busy. It's frenetic. It's, it's yes. uh, performance oriented. It's, it's externally focused. It's keeping up with the Joneses. It's getting that promotion. It's always having to rush somewhere for the kids or the wife or the spouse or whatever, you know, and, right. and yet then there's people like you who actually allow that you literally fan the flame of that whisper until it becomes a roar that actually you cannot drown out. And in order to deal with it, you have to completely redirect your life in, in probably a very disruptive way. It was, it was. What it, do you think is the difference yeah. between those that shush it uh -huh. and those that, you know, amplify it? Yeah. Well, it's easy to lose perspective and get tunnel vision. Yeah. And, and I think many people, um, they are seeking their potential, um, believing that is going to lead to happiness and a sense of real fulfillment. And I, I was able to exp expose myself to enough success where I realized that wasn't where it was at. In the Hindu tradition, they call it neti, neti, neti. Not this, not this, not this. Hmm. And so I wanted to, you know, seeking meaning is very tricky because I believe human beings are creators of meaning. We make up our meanings. Each individual finds different things meaningful and that's what they ought to pursue. I like the focusing on purpose rather than meaning. Because I don't, I no longer believe all we want is happiness, like a gleeful feeling or a giddy right. smile. I think what we really want is a sense of meaning, purpose, connection um, with other people, with ourselves, maybe even with the transcendent. And so while we're doing things appropriately to succeed and, and, and achieve in our chosen fields and so on, um, which I think is a, a valuable pursuit, we, we also need that, that larger sense of, okay, um, if I got everything I wanted, what might I still want? Uh, and, and what can lead to that sense of peace, that sense of inner peace and uh, fulfillment? And, and one of the things I recommend, and, and maybe this is a, a nice place to draw to a close, is I highly recommend that we stop comparing ourselves to other people. Because when we, as soon as we compare ourselves to someone else in any field, we're either going to feel superior or inferior. And it's a profound disrespect for our own process. A quick example, when I was coaching and teaching physical education and gymnastics at Stanford and Oberlin, I found that some people learned, let's say, a skill, a somersault, faster than other people. But those who took longer to learn it often learned it better than mm -hmm. those who learned it faster. So each of us needs to respect our own a way of learning and our own way of living 
and just and stop the social media thing where everyone's showing their best side. Look at me at Cabo or you know on vacation and look at all the friends I have around me and people are always showing their best side and other young people get depressed um, because everyone else seems to be having a better time. We're all seeking what we call the good life, but we can't make it this compulsive, uh, like even people in the spiritual practices, well, I'm meditating better than those other people, or I'm more spiritual, you know, and, and all, all these um, odd things, we're still comparing ourselves. And somebody once said, I cannot write a book commensurate to Shakespeare, but I can write a book by me. And you've written a book by you, right, Jeff? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it, it is fitting well, to, to wind back to another, I think it was another Teddy Roosevelt quote, that mm -hmm. comparison is the thief of joy. Yes, right? absolutely. It's been said many times. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Dan, I appreciate so much your time here on the show. I would love, uh, I know we, we have to wrap to a close, um, but I know that you're, you have a website, peacefulwarrior.com, and I would love if you would share with the audience kind of what you're up to now. We know you from your books. What are you up to now? And is there some, something you can invite people to come be a part of? Uh, sure. Well, with the new book, that's really represents the culmination of my work. 40 years, 18 books. Uh, wow. It feels enough. Um, but I'll continue to teach. I, I'm, I'm expressing whenever I speak, I'm, I'm in a sense sharing with others what I find meaningful and helpful. Um, I hope these perspectives and reminders and observations. Um, so I'll continue to do that. Peacefulwarrior.com is a really good place to visit if people are curious about my work. Right on the splash page, there's a life purpose calculator. Um, it's free. Um, you can just put in your date of birth and you might get see some interesting information. And my books and audio programs, online courses and all that are also listed at, at the website, peacefulwarrior.com. Peacefulwarrior.com. And so 18 books, are you declaring that's enough? Yeah, I think right now that really feels like it, it's a culminating work. And so yeah, I, I mean, can rest. One, one almost killed me. So I have incredible respect for 18. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Jeff here. If you liked this episode of Unlock Your Potential, it would mean so much if you would like and share the episode on whatever platform you're listening or viewing on. And if you really like what we're doing here and you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a review. There is so much work that goes into these episodes and you leaving a positive review lets us know that that work is reaching people and especially it helps us reach other people. Your review could be the reason that someone else decides to tune in check out this podcast and unlock their potential and ultimately level up the quality of their life. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support and for listening, especially if you like or share or leave a review. Thank you for helping us spread the word and thank you for unlocking your potential to go make the world and your world a better place.